if we could talk about all of the shit that I'm talking about and actually share it with other people, we'd be able to use each other to find our secret sauce. But we're so all damn shameful to talk about our own trauma and our shadows and keep them in the closet that it just continues and continues through generation to generation. But if there's that one person that opens their mouth and speaks their truth and puts in the work to kind of pull apart all of the things that have molded us, then they can provide a little bit of light. Hey, it's Jamie Scrimger. When I became a stepmom, I quickly realized that while moms are encouraged to keep it real, there's a big double standard when it comes to stepmoms. So I decided to start the conversation myself. Thriving as a stepmom doesn't just come from conversations about being a stepmom, though. Here, we dive into marriage, relationships, personal growth, and more. My mission? Inspire you to live a kick-ass life while bringing you along as I create my own. This is the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. And welcome to part two of my conversation with Shelbs of the Aya Within podcast. Now, if you have not listened to last week's episode, the part one of this episode, you got to stop right now and got to go do that. This episode will not make sense without listening to the first one. And if you have already listened to the first one, welcome back. Let's dive into part two. When I was going through all this infidelity, not having really parents to go to. And all of my friends, while all of this is going down, all of my friends are getting married. Literally all of my friends, while my marriage is falling apart. So every single time we talk, it's like, yay for you. But also like my life is falling apart. And I don't want to be that Debbie Downer on your day telling you, oh, how's everything with you and so and so. And it's like, it's shit. Honestly, it's not getting better. <laughs> And so once we separated, I think I still had the fluff of the internal fluff of like, I still have someone, you know, so I'm going to do my thing, but I have, I have my backup, you know? And so, like I said, in my journals, I'm constantly like going back and forth, back and forth of like, I love him so much. I don't want to leave him, but I love myself. I know I need to put myself first, but I love him. And so then in April I did ayahuasca. And this is where it changed everything is on my way to the airport. We were just talking and it was really good. I was starting to let him in again. It was really good. And we were just having a conversation of like, what will happen after ayahuasca? And I was going to host my first retreat and then I was going to go and do ayahuasca. And so he was just like, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And I was like, I don't know, but we're really good, we're really good. And I'm glad I've been able to sleep with someone. And once I said that, he lost his shit. Of course. Of course. Of course. And it just, thinking about it makes me so mad because it's like, bitch, I told you I'm talking to people. I told you I wanted to date around. I told you that I needed to figure out you're the one. But what makes me so mad is I feel like men put themselves of like, but they're going to wait for us. And it's like, no, I'm not waiting for you. I'm finding my voice and my power and I'm sorry, but I needed to figure out if you're the one. And yes, you should be waiting for me because you already had that opportunity to figure out if you wanted to be with me. And so once he found that out, just the way he behaved, it was like he was waiting for me to fuck up. 
he was waiting for me to kind of just one thing and boom, everything flipped. Now I was the one that was lying. Now I was the one that was hiding things. Now I was just completely flipped. And it was a really big wake up call because I talked with my astrologist and she said on April 12th, you'll have clarity on your relationship. And during April 12th, that's when I was in ayahuasca. And so it was just like, really eye-opening of like, this was one of the most monumental aspects of my career. I'm about to host a retreat with all these beautiful women that have been following me online. I really need you as a partner, as a husband to show up for me. And the way he was texting me and it was just very interesting. Like, so I think his best friend was the one that was the behind the scene person because someone even texted a girl he was talking to and acted like it was me. And I was like, there's just so many things in this that are playing out that are insane. Like I am hosting a retreat right now. I have no idea what girls you're hanging out with. And on top of that, we talked about how we can talk to other people. I gave you permission to go out and see if you want this to work. Like I'm not going to take time out of my day to figure out who you're talking to. And so there was someone in the back end really playing a role in this dynamic that was really close to us. And it it was just very interesting just to see how it unfolded. And yeah, ayahuasca was... Can you explain what ayahuasca is for someone? Because I remember when I first heard about it, I was like, what is that? And But I hear it all the time now. And I've dove into it a little bit, but I'm I'm guessing there's people who are listening and are like, what the hell is ayahuasca? Yeah. And I was the same way. I was like, what the hell is this? I was getting a facial and my facialist was like, yeah, ayahuasca. I was like, what the hell is that? So it is a plant. So it's plant medicine. It's amazing. I'm a huge advocate on plant medicine. And it is a root based in Colombia, and you take it as a tea. And essentially, it blocks off receptors in your mind. We already have DMT that is formed within our mind. So it blocks off that receptors. So then the DMT just stays. And it truly is a medicine to help you energetically purge the things that you're holding within. And it brings up visuals. So for me, I didn't really visually see things. Even when I do mushrooms, I don't really see things, but emotionally I felt it. And so it's a medicine used to help cleanse, purge trauma that is holding you back and allows you to kind of reconnect to your soul. Some people say that there is a significant period in our life. It could be even in the womb when you are disconnected from your soul. And our job in life is to reconnect to our soul. So that means that we need to kind of wipe off all of the trauma, all of the beliefs, all of the stagnant energy, because energy is not killed. And so as women, I feel like we are really spongy to energy. We silence ourselves. We don't make other people uncomfortable. So when we feel this energy, we just take it in into our body. And that's where it's stored is in our body. And it comes through anxiety and it comes through heart gut problems. That is energy that is just stagnant through the trauma that you have yet to release. And so when all of this was going on too, my anxiety was getting to the point where I was almost throwing up every single day because I was just so uncomfortable. That's how my anxiety is just comes out is because I'm trying to trigger my vagal nerve of just like the gagging feeling. And so 
when I would start to feel anxious, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm sick. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to throw up. And then I'd be like, oh my gosh, I, I have the flu. And it would just unfold this whole aspect. And so when I did ayahuasca, I sat with the medicine four nights in a row and it's a ceremony where they play music and it, you just sit on a mat and you process your trauma. You process the things in life. And it is- But you're the sipping most- the tea, right? So you sip the tea once and then you, so you take, it's like a little shot glass. So you take the shot and then you go back to your mat and it's silent. So you either lay down or meditate. And so it's very interesting because it's where your ego is just like, oh, you're not feeling it. You're not feeling it. Oh my gosh, you're not feeling it. And it's just, you're fighting yourself. You're just fighting yourself. And it's also very like nerve, like nerve wracking because you're like, what's about to happen? Like I've never done this. Um, and so then they start playing this music and, they have a live band there. And then sometimes they have it on Spotify where it's like shamanic music. And I started feeling it. And it's really this thing of like, you don't want to throw up, but you're going to throw up most likely at one point in your journey because that's you're purging the energy that's within you. And so I started seeing these images of me at my grandma's house. And I started realizing the sexual trauma. So boom, this aha moment. And then you see that you're going through it. You're crying. You're doing whatever your thing is. I'm a very emotional person. So I'm mostly crying. And then you, I started throwing up and it's not like this crazy throwing up. It's not like you have the flu. It's just a couple like, you know, little, and then they tell you to look in the bucket and ask mama ayahuasca what it is. And so I look in the bucket. I'm like, what did I just release? And it was the fear, it was rejection, it was my anxiety, it was this irregular nervous system. It's just so insane because it connected so much of why I couldn't let this person go, even though they hurt me so much. Even at ayahuasca, I was like, I still don't know, I don't, I still don't want to leave this. I don't still don't want him to go. I, I can't lose him. I can't lose him. I just created a perfect husband. I cannot let someone have my fruit. No one's going to want me. And then the next night, I realized how much I hated women. <laughs> so most most of the nights, we had a male shaman. And this was the first night that we had a female shaman. And it's insane, the respect of just like the music was low. And I remember that I kept raising my hand and having them come over and be like, can you have her turn up the music? And it's so funny because every time I would try to talk, I was definitely feeling the medicine. I was like all over the place, but I just didn't trust her. And it's realized how much I do not trust women. And this isn't just my feeling, but this is generational. And how I put men on this pedestal goes back to the umbilical cord of my dad and I. So it's so beautiful because in these ceremonies, everyone's there for a reason. Everyone has an intricate role on your journey. And so this lady starts like moaning, right? And kind of feeling And she's doing it too. Mm-hmm. There's like, okay. yeah, everyone's on mattresses. There's probably 50 people in this one room. And you hear people throwing up. It's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. And then the last retreat I just did, there was only 10. So it just depends where you go. And there's people watching you, like the place at Rhythmia. It's a hospital. And so they have doctors there and therapists there and like a whole room. You can get IVs. It's like, it's very safe, you know? And that's what I loved about going to Rhythmia my first time is because it's super safe and you feel very safe. And these, the money they have in this facility is top tier. And so, you know, like you're getting the best treatment and this is very in tune with the culture. And so I hear her moaning and the whole time they tell you, 
it's all about gratitude. You're like, thank you, mama. Aya. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like you're super just processing. Thank you for letting me see this. Thank you for bringing this forward. Like, I'm so grateful. Like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm hearing her and I'm just like sending her love because you're on your mattress. You're most likely with a blanket wrapped up listening to music. Like you don't really, you can walk around and stuff, but when you're in the process, in your, your deep process, you just lay down and you just, it's all in your head. And so I'm just sending her so much love. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I'm sending you love. You're not alone. I just kept telling her that you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. And then her voices, her screaming started to accelerate. I'm just like, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. And they had to remove her from the facility because obviously you can't have someone. There's just, you have to, they do have to moderate the room. And that's one thing is they have to, you know, make sure it's like not chaos. So you're very, it's very quiet. No one's talking. It's very respectful. You don't touch each other when you're in the process. You don't say anything. And the only people you talk to is the shamans and the people that are there to help. And so I hear her leaving while I'm sending her love. I'm watching this garden grow in my mind. And it's this flourishing garden. It's just gorgeous. And then I hear, to hear them take her away and my garden starts to die. And I start to feel like I'm buried. And it's this deep sense of aloneness, just pure aloneness, like almost like you're literally in the ground and just dirt is all on you and you feel like you've been forgotten. And in that moment, I felt like I felt her. I felt like I was trying so hard to take away her pain and to make sure she didn't feel alone. I felt like I felt her. And in that moment, I started having flashbacks of the fear my mom felt of having a baby at 17 years old and her dissociating when I was being pulled away, when the cops came and got me and just like realizing and just seeing how I have this deeply installed belief that I am born to take away people's pain. And that right there, I realized that I am not born to take away people's pain because I will continuously fail. That is not my job. But in my mind, I thought, okay, if I could take away her pain, if I could take away my mom's pain, my mom will be able to show up for me. But they never do. Never do because that's not their job. And -hmm. on top of it, if you're taking away people's pain that haven't even done the work, they're trying to process through their own damn pain. Then I start purging and I am purging all of the energy that I have taken on my whole life of people's pain of just this sponge of soaking up my mom's pain, my dad's pain, just all these people, because I am a lover. I'm naturally someone that wanted to be a therapist. So I'm that person that's like, oh, talk to me and all of that. Like, talk to me because I am hoping that you'll talk to me. And so that moment, I'm just purging all of this pain that's not mine and just let it go. And realized in that moment that I have this deep belief that if I take away their pain, they'll love me. If I help them process, they'll love me. So that plays a role in my relationships. My whole relationship was really about me almost being a therapist to my ex of just trying to take away his pain and helping him process through things. And even in my relationships still today, I like am the person that's just like, sit down next to me. Like, let me take away your pain. But realizing that I can put up an energetic block around me and I can listen, but I do not need to receive. 
So a lot of people that feel called to ayahuasca are, they say they're light workers or light warriors. And it's going to be interesting. It's interesting that you've actually heard about it a couple of times because mm-hmm. when you start hearing about it more and more, that usually means ayahuasca mama I is calling to you. I know. I'm literally like, okay, where am I going to go do this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's because it's, you have to be ready to receive her messages. And it really is like a fight. It's, it's a fight between your ego trying to protect you your whole life. It's like, no, 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 you don't want to see this. You don't want to see this. And it's like, I do. I need to see this. Like I need to let it go. And so they use this example of why this kind of happens. And I loved this because at Arrhythmia, they, you have classes. So they have people come in and teach you. And so when your soul disconnects, they also talk about how they use this example of like, if you have a parent that drinks, right? So as a young child, you start to kind of push down your own emotions to kind of monitor the environment you're around energetically. And I definitely do that. Like I'm very sensitive to my energetic environment and however my environment is, I shape shift. And that's something I'm really trying to work on is to not shape shift. I don't need to shape shift to make other people comfortable because ultimately I can make myself comfortable. I don't need to shape into anything because I am enough. And so they use this example of, so you have a dad come home and he's an alcoholic and the kid is watching TV and he hears his dad pull up and he gets anxious. So he turns down the TV and cleans up all of his toys and just sits there and listens for his dad to come in. And his dad comes in and throws the keys on the table and opens up the fridge and grunts and lifts, pops off the bottle and drinks. And the kid knows instantly, okay, it's time to go to our room. Let's go to our room. And right there, that kid tunes out and tunes in, tunes out of its own emotions and tunes into the environment of someone else's emotions. Right there at that young age, the child realizes, okay, by me ignoring my own emotions and tuning into someone else's emotions, I can stay safe. And children need to do that because you can't control your environment. But as an adult, you do not need to do that. You do not need to tune into someone else's energetic emotions or energetic field to stay safe because that's not your shit to take on. You need to listen to your own own intuition. You need to listen to what you're feeling. You need to listen to those nudges. If you're feeling this little, "Mm, I should leave, that's your body being like, hey, honey, it's time to leave. I don't need to tune into your shit to figure out if I need to leave because I am safe enough to remove myself now as an adult from that situation. So then, then the next day, the dad comes in and he turns down the TV, cleans up his toys, sits patiently. And the dad opens the door and, ah, hey, son, how you doing? Super happy. So the kid stays out. Then again, reinforced, ah, if I tune into someone else's emotions and experiences, it keeps me safe. So realizing and trying to figure out what is mine and what is not mine and how to navigate this. Is this my trauma? Is this my intuition? Is this my anxiety? Because I look back, did I know what was going on? in my relationship. One, no, I blatantly did not know that that was happening. I feel like there was no signs, but my intuition did when I was driving to Dallas and I was like, Hey, I don't know if this, this situation's right for us. Mm, No, no intuition. We're good. It's like every single time if your best friend calls and you don't answer, your best friend's going to stop calling and you're going to lose that connection. And so because of everything that's been unfolding, that is what I'm working on right now is learning how to reconnect with my intuition, to learn about my own energy, my own light, my own superpowers, how to use this trauma and transform it into something so fucking beautiful. 
that's why I love talking about what I talk about because if we could talk about all of the shit that I'm talking about and actually share it with other people, we'd be able to use each other to find our secret sauce. But we're so all damn shameful to talk about our own trauma and our shadows and keep them in the closet that it just continues and continues through generation to generation. But if there's that one person that opens their mouth and speaks their truth and puts in the work to kind of pull apart all of the things that have molded us, then they can provide a little bit of light. Like for example, my grandma, my, I love my grandma. My grandma is my mom and she's someone that's very mm, on top of it. Very just like Fox 13 news. She'll tell you all the updates. You don't do that. You don't smoke weed. Like, like I am someone that's very like black sheep. I like tell her, I'm like, yeah, grandma, I smoke weed. I love me- marijuana meditations or everything. I'm mushy. Like plant medicine is such a beautiful aspect. And It's been so beautiful because she has been someone that has watched my journey and is supportive of it. It was definitely difficult of her to watch it at the beginning for sure. But she came and visited me in Dallas recently when I came back from Portugal and she microdosed with me. Oh my gosh. Shocked. And that right there, knowing that I could shift my grandma's life a little bit to help her step into her power and just kind of think of things just differently gave me so much of, ah, this is why. If you're looking for the most comfortable loungewear, bedding, PJs, and more, you have to check out Cozy Earth. I am obsessed. One of my girlfriends was like, you talk about your PJs a lot. And she's right. I do. Because they're unreal. So unreal that Cozy Earth was on Oprah's favorite things for five years in a row. Now here are my faves. The bamboo PJ set, the jogger pants, and the bamboo sheets. I also have the bamboo shorts on order for summer. I will keep you updated on those, but something tells me they are not going to disappoint. Now, first, here's a lowdown on the sheets. The sheets and duvet set are temperature regulating, ultra soft, and made from 100% premium bamboo viscose. And the covers are oversized, so they don't just show the side of your sheets that drives me nuts. I can't stand when the duvet cover doesn't cover the entire bed. And that does not happen with Cozy Earth. Now the bamboo PJ set and the jogger pants are equally as comfortable. And the combination of them together when you are crawling into bed at night, well, let's just say that when the day is done, I change into my Cozy Earth ASAP. Now, Cozy Earth has given listeners of the podcast a huge discount, so you can use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off. Yeah, that's right, 40% off. Luxury PJs, loungewear, and sleep, Cozy Earth will up-level your bedtime experience. That's www.cozyearth.com and use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off. I am traveling to Austin, Texas this week for a conference, which is super exciting. I haven't been to a conference since before COVID, and I haven't traveled alone in probably 15 years. So it's going to be amazing. Now, a huge part of my travel must-haves is Element. I have to stay hydrated. I want to feel amazing. I don't want to feel gross and puffy when I get off the plane. So I always have a few sticks of Element in my bag. Now, Element is my go-to electrolyte drink mix. It tastes great, has no BS ingredients, like no sugar, no artificial coloring, everything you need and nothing you don't. 
formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for folks following a keto or a low carb or a paleo diet. It also won't break your fast. So from professional athletes to everyday moms, it is for everyone. Element has 100 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, and it tastes delicious. Staying hydrated is crucial, and it's a huge priority of mine. Proper hydration isn't just about drinking water. It means having adequate water and electrolytes. So while I'm in Texas, Element will be in my bag at all times. I plan on getting in some great workouts, having an amazing sleep, staying super hydrated so that I can feel amazing and soak in all of the great information that I know I'm going to learn. Now, my favorite flavors are raspberry and watermelon, but you can figure out what your favorites are. When you order anything from my link, you will get a free sample pack so you can try all of the flavors that Element has. So head to www.drinkelement.com forward slash kickass stepmom to get your free sample pack with purchase. That's www.drinklmnt.com forward slash kickass stepmom to get a free sample pack with purchase. I talk a lot about my morning routine, but my nighttime routine is just as important. When it's off, I notice a huge difference in the quality of my sleep and how I show up the next day. So here's the deal. I love to go to bed early. When we're done dinner, I'm usually completely off of social. I often delete it off my phone so I'm not distracted and don't have that urge. I'll do some reading with Reese, putter around, light a candle, clean up the kitchen, and just set the vibe for the end of the day. When I get into my bedroom, I plug in my phone across the room because I don't want to be tempted and I get ready for bed. When I'm done reading my book, I crawl out of bed and turn on the Newcom deep sleep journey. This is what puts me to sleep. The sounds and music is just, I love it so freaking much. Newcom is such a huge part of my daily routine and many times I use it up to twice a day. What used to be exclusively available to U.S. military, pilots, professional athletes, doctors, and cancer patients, and used to be a $6,000 FDA class three medical device can now be yours through an app. It gives you the power to change your state, manage stress and anxiety, focus, and find your flow. Backed by over 33 years of clinically proven patent neuroscience, this technology is so easy to use and so powerful. At night, I use the deep sleep journey And during the day, if I need a reset, I use one of their daytime journeys. It just helps me refocus, manage my anxiety, find my flow, relax. And really, it's just everything I need to help me show up as my best. If you want to neutralize stress, restore sleep, and reach peak performance, you have to check this out. And Newcom has given a special offer to listeners of the podcast. So just head to www.newcom.com. That's N-U-C-A-L-M.com. And use the code Jamie10 for 10% off. That's www.nucalm.com. And use the code Jamie10 for 10% off. You're going to freaking love it. I'd love to talk about your decision to kind of be estranged from your parents now, because you talk about them with such love, but it sounds like you've let that go with love for them and for you. Where are you at with your parents now and why have you made those, that decision? Yeah. Good question. So my mom and I were very codependent, very, very codependent. She was my everything. She was the consistent one that showed up my whole life. 
I love her so much. And throughout high school, college, and even like my early 20s, I really was processing most of that with my mom and just trying to figure out how to really let her in because I, I crave that. I wish so bad on so many levels that I could call up my mom and be like, hey, mom, I'm going through a divorce right now and I've lost everything and I don't know what to do. Or, hey, dad, I really need you to come out and help me move out of my house that my ex left me with all of my shit. Like, I would love that. But realizing that they are not in a space to provide me that has been one of the hardest things because that is the deepest sense of rejection. With my mom, what really was icing on the cake is I'm really close to my stepdad. Are they still married? Mm -mm. So they got married when I was 13. And my mom got really jealous and envious of our relationship. And my stepdad was super healthy for me. He showed me a dad role because my mom would allow him to. Like, it's not that my dad couldn't. My mom just didn't allow that relationship to unfold because she was very in her own process. And so my stepdad was the first man that really was around and was able to show up and still consistently shows up for me and does not make me feel like I am an inconvenience. I was talking to a therapist one day and I was like, I just don't know if I feel right to have kids. And she was like, how did you feel as a child? And I was like, as an inconvenience. And she's like, do you view kids as an inconvenience? I was like, absolutely. And so I always felt like a very inconvenient to my parents. And with my stepdad, if I literally called him now and I was like, hey, I need you to drive all the way to Dallas from Utah to help me move. He'd be like, okay, I'll figure it out. Whereas if I called my dad, he would be like, you know, I need to talk to mom. I need to see if I can figure it out, you know, like, and it's just like that right there. It's like, I know that you, my stepdad still needs to do that, but he doesn't need to tell me that he needs to do that. He just lets me know that, Hey girl, I got you. I know you wouldn't be asking this of me if you didn't need me where my dad is like, Oh, you know, I don't know. But the thing is, is he would at a thousand percent do that to my half sisters. And I don't call my half sisters because they're my sisters. But I think it just goes to the dynamic as my stepmom wouldn't allow him. My stepmom would be like, no, we will show up for the girls. And so I think that right there, that unconscious hate maybe definitely lingers a little bit in the relationship with my dad and I and my stepmom and I. So I really cut my mom out in college. She was someone that really dangled things over my head manipulatively and pulled things away from me when I didn't do things. So for example, one was college. If I didn't do something she would want, she'd be like, I'm not going to help you pay for college. Like, and it was very unrealistic. It would be like in times where like I would have to plan. And so I think it was my sophomore year of college. She would help me pay for half of my college and the other half, I was able to obviously get some scholarships and things like that. So I was in Pell Grants. And so during the summer, she wouldn't help me. And I wanted to stay in Logan to be with my ex. And so I was like, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to move in with my ex during the summer to like split rent because no, not even split rent. He got a free scholarship. So he didn't pay for his housing. So I was like, this is perfect. And so I told my mom, I was like, hey, mom, I think I'm going to do this. And she's like, well, if you're going to make big girl decisions, adult decisions, then I'm not going to help you pay for college. And I was like, okay, respectfully so. I just want you to know this sounds very familiar to me. I can relate to this type of dynamic. Yeah. So I was like, okay, interesting. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to find the cheapest place in Logan 
and I'm going to move my stuff in there and I'm still going to stay with my ex because the apartment he lived in was my apartment that I also lived in during the school year and I also worked at. And so I did what she said she wanted me to do, but I also was staying with my ex. And so one day she asked me, she's like, have you been sleeping over with so-and-so? And I was like, yeah, which is so crazy to me because at this point, I'm like a sophomore in college. So I've been sleeping with guys. Like I've been having sleepovers. I had a boyfriend that was long distance. So I don't know where in her head that she thought that I wasn't sleeping with boys, like over at their places, because my boyfriend would literally drive down and she knew about this. So once I told her that, she's like, oh, and lost her shit. And she stopped paying for college. So it was that time where she like just went crazy. Like my mom is very emotionally sporadic, like very manipulative and just it's really hard. And that's where that energy too of like, sometimes she's really amazing. Like you can hear it in her voice and then boom, just the complete opposite of this like. And so it was one of those moments and my stepdad saw how my mom was. And so then um, I was like, okay, stop paying for it. If you're going to do that, just do it. Just stop. I'm tired of you hanging this over my gosh dang head. Stop paying for it. It's like what I was talking about before, right? When it comes to like the love and the support, it's conditional. Yes. Based on you show up how I want you to show up. You do what I want you to do as my kid and I will love you. And I feel like that was kind of common back then too. But now it's like my big thing as a parent is I just want the kids to know that we will love them unconditionally. No matter what, it's even, you know, my daughter Reese right now is really big into this Lexia reading program because she struggles with reading as well. And uh, she'll finish. She's like, are you so proud of me? I'm like, I'm proud of you no matter what, but I am proud of <sighs> yes. you, right? So making yes. sure she knows that she's not associating my love with obedience or homework or academic achievement or, you know, just being like really deliberate about that. But it's so interesting. I love that you say that because now we're in a stage that I think we're seeing we feel the consequences of our parents doing that. So it's now we are given the choice that either we're going to continue this cycle or we're going to fight against everything that we've been told and try to transform this, even though it's uncomfortable. So that was the period where I think my mom and I really didn't talk a lot. It was like, sometimes we talk a ton and then I'd pull back because it's a lot. And then when I was going through school too, just really what I was diving into, it's hard not to get angry at your parents for the things you do. Like that's super valid. And there would be times that I'd be, freaking pissed. Why did you do this to me? Why did you bring in another human being and treat them this way? Like, what the hell? I did not choose this life. (laughs) And so there would be periods where I definitely would like start learning some things in school and then be really mad, like really mad. And it got to the point where I was like, no one should be treated the way I'm treating my parents. So it's better for me to just pull myself back right now in order for me to treat my parents with respect because they are human beings. And it got to that point where I was just like, I was rude. I was a brat. And so she stopped paying for it. That was like the first of it. And after that, I really wasn't super close to my stepdad or my mom. And I guess during that period, shit got shaky for them. My ex played a really large role in letting my dad back into my life. And it's so funny because he tried to give me advice about my really like my parents and after time had gone on, he was like, you're not crazy. It really is this bad. Like you really are very alienated. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. Like someone is finally validating this experience because I have no one telling me that like 
my parents are like alienate me. Like my dad alienates me and my stepmom alienates me. And I'm just want to be loved, man. I just want to be loved. And so when I started to let my mom back in, I went and visited her. And this is when my ex asked for my hand in marriage. And she was pissed that he didn't ask her, that he asked my stepdad. And this is when she and my stepdad started getting divorced. And so I tried to show up for my mom in this period, but I was also planning my marriage. And during this period, my mom started to really be like manipulative with my dad, my stepdad and I's relationship and bringing up infidelity and things like that. And for me, I was just like, it's too much. I don't want to hear this right now. One, because you don't know what's going on in my personal life. And two, I love my stepdad. And everyone makes mistakes. And I'm I'm taking that stance right now with my own relationship of like everyone makes mistakes. And so it really got to a point where I saw my mom redoing, like redoing the same pattern that she did with me with my siblings. I can't sit there and watch my mom do exactly what she did to my siblings with my stepdad and I. She was trying to make me hate my stepdad and manipulate me to hate him and just like corny me. And it, it got to the point that it was just like, I can't. I love this man and you're yet again trying to push someone out of my life that I need their support. I have no one. I have no one. And you're trying to push this man that has done nothing to me but love me because you're angry. And now it's to the point where my mom uses my siblings as pawns. So she did that to me as I was a child as pawns. And when she found out I was down in Utah, she... And my stepdad would have them a little bit extended time. She kept them. So I couldn't see them. And so for me, I would love for that relationship to unfold. I just don't know if it will. And we haven't gone to therapy before. I've There's been multiple times where I'm like, I would just love us to go to therapy. I'd love us to go to therapy. But my grandma and my mom have the same type of relationship. So it's very generational. I definitely do wonder some days, like if I have kids, like, will they know their grandma? But it's also, you might be protecting them too, right? Exactly. I have a really complicated relationship with my mom. And, you know, it's really interesting because there's almost like a grieving process, especially around like Mother's Day or, you know, when mm-hmm. you're scrolling through Instagram, you see everyone who's like mom's their world and, you know, my yeah, best friend her and, birthday. Or, here, or here showing up, you know, help. Like, it's so funny. I'll, I'll be picking Reese up from school and there's the grandmas there like helping. I'm like, where do I get one of those? <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I don't mean that with any disrespect, but it's just kind of like, you know, we all are our own person, but there's almost like this grief that you have to go through. It's like, they can't be the type of mom that you need and accepting that. And it's so hard, right? And it hits you, these pains of grief hit you just randomly throughout your life and you feel like you're okay with it. You feel like you've processed it. And then all of a sudden you're like, boom, God. <laughs> Okay, shit, here we go again, right? Like, yes. it doesn't go away. It's just, it's interesting, right? Because we have these ideas of the, the parents that we want and how we need them to show up for us. And then society paints this idea of what they should be. 100%. And do you know what I really love is when our parents, when we're in dysfunction, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'll say, well, you don't, like, I, you don't treat me that way or you can't say that because I'm your parent. Like almost like we owe them because they like put a roof over our head. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, I get it. But also I didn't ask to come here. You brought me here. Like th- this is not something that I ordered. 
<laughs> yeah. 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 This yeah. isn't my order, man. I think you got to mix it up. <laughs> yeah. I don't owe you for like clothing me and putting a roof over my head when you decided to have me. Yes. <laughs> it's like feeling like that inconvenience, but yeah, I love talking about the grief process too. Cause there is, it, that's so huge. And so I, it is. And being able to work through that. EMDR has been amazing with working through that and just like the bilateral stimulation and plant medicine, honestly, like my first time I did a mushroom trip because I really struggle with this idea of seeing me as me. Like then that's a huge reason actually why I shaved my head is like, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on my beauty and maybe if I'm beautiful enough, my parents will love me. If I'm like X, Y, and Z, my, you know, and I think my mom has felt that. I think that's generational too. And I remember the first time I did a bigger mushroom trip, I pulled up photos of my parents and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm them. Like I, everything that I am dealing with right now is literally theirs. And that is a gift, but also a blessing. And it's just like, what do I do with this? Like, I literally was pointing out everything that I saw in my mom in my face. And I'm just like, wow, like the love, but also the hate I have for this is indescribable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have been through so much and you have such great perspective and I really do think it's important for people to hear stories like yours so that you can walk through. And it's almost like you're literally, literally like putting the puzzle pieces together and like discovering who you are and why you are the way you are. And yeah. then we can kind of get to the point where we can give ourselves the love that we deserve. Right. It's like really about like pouring back into ourselves and being like, Hey, and connecting the dots. It's okay. Yeah. Like it's okay. Exactly. And so kind of with my dad and my stepmom, this is a new one. My ex really invited them into my life and I haven't been home since everything. I even think about, it, I'm like, I wonder if I'm still in family photos. Like it's been two years. And cause I was really angry at my dad for a while. And my mom would always say, like, I would always talk about it, something that she'd do. And she's like, but what about your dad? Like always wanting like me to hate my dad too. And so I've always been angry at my dad in a way of just like, I see how well you show up for my sisters. Why can't you do that for me, man? And with my stepmom, I've always respectfully called her my mom. She is my mom. She has done everything. She is a beautiful human being, but there's been this energetic block. And when my ex would come over and when we started really getting serious, the way that she would cater to him was absolutely beautiful. Cookies and just like she is the most immaculate host ever. And it made me feel loved. It made me feel like, okay, you love him, so you're going to love me. And I'm scared to see how that dynamic's going to be going back there because now I don't have someone that I can kind of, you know, lean into when I don't feel necessarily welcomed or kind of alienated or when they're just living their life, you know, they're they're busy. You know, you know, mom life, it's busy. They got people. Yeah. And so that's kind of where that is going of just like accepting that that's what it is and everything's unfolding exactly how it needs to be. Well, Shelby, you are seriously such a light. I am so grateful that you were to share your story with us. Where can everyone find you? Yes. So everyone can find me on Instagram at S Shelbs. And then I have a podcast with IO Within. And then I am hosting a retreat this September in Tulum, providing a space for women to create their soul family and come back together and just really tap into the divine. It's all about tapping into the divine and letting it speak through you so you can tap into your intuition and step into your power. 
Well, beautiful. Well, I'm so glad we were able to do this. Again, you are such a light. Keep on sharing this story because I, I know there's been a lot of hurt for you. And I know that you have those feelings of rejection and, and all the things, but you have really cultivated this community and have opened up so many important conversations for so many people. So you are making a difference. Thank you so much. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode and know someone that it would resonate with, do me a favor and send it their way. And if you haven't already, head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. I am so passionate about opening up the conversation about blended family life and debunking the stigma that comes with being a stepmom. And you sharing this podcast helps me do just that. Now, if you're craving more podcast episodes and interviews, would like to connect with me and get access to workshops like how to disengage the right way, how to improve your relationship with your stepkids, how to talk to your partner about your step family stress without causing a bigger fight and more, you have to check out my membership, the Kick-Ass Stepmom Community. Not only will this community give you access to strategies and tips to improve your step family life, you can connect with me and stepmoms from over 30 countries around the world in our private chat and our live Q and A's. Head to www.kickassstepmom.com to join.